Thank you again. Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 6. Luke, chapter number 6, and I'll get to our text here in a little bit. I was recently watching a video of, uh, I don't know who posted it and how, how many of you have seen it, but it was the video of a skydiver who was the first man ever to jump out of a plane without a parachute into a huge net. And if I remember right, it was 24,000 feet up because he had to wear a, 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 yeah, a mask thingamajig for the first 12,000 feet. And another skydiver come whizzing by and help him get that off at the 12,000 feet point. And this guy's going a hundred and maybe over that, but it showed 150 mile an hour. He's coming through the air toward the ground, and he's got, and there's no parachute. He has got to hit this net down there, which it was a huge thing, but uh, uh, anyway, he did. My second thought, you can. <laughs> You can guess what the first one was, and I'll leave it at that. My second thought was, why? Why risk your life, you know? Why spend all of that money on this production for a stunt? And I couldn't help but wonder how many little starving children could be fed for what it costs to do that, not only to make that net, but here you've got all the production crew there. You've got all of these different cameras and other skydivers there up there and so forth. And uh, it was uh, really amazing. And, and after run, finally running the gamut on all of the why questions, well, I started thinking about all the other questions that came to my mind and why people do what they do. Uh, why do we do what we do? And let me just say, if you think what he did was stupid, and I, by the way, I vote yes, uh, but if you think that was stupid, I want to remind you that millions of people do worse things Every day. By worse, I'm talking about things that are more foolish, more dangerous than that. Man's foolishness is on display 24 hours a day, every day of the year, and in numerous different ways. And I can't even begin to tell you the times that I've uh, said to myself, why did he, or maybe it was she, why did he or she do that? Uh, it just didn't make sense, you know. Not only was it wrong, but it was harmful, it was dangerous. And uh, and so there are a lot of why questions. That's the most common question that, uh, that we ask. But I don't want you to think about, uh, I don't want you to think about uh, what I think about such things. I want you to think about, uh, about the fact that that God has some questions. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has uh, asked this same question, why? The Bible is actually full of questions. I remember several years ago I preached an entire series entitled Questions from Jesus. But there's a whole lot more than that to be found. Let me 
let me let me just mention some that as we go back through the Bible and we could actually put all of these into three groups. There are questions directly from God and those that are directed by the Lord, that is through the prophets. And then there is one that we'll get to in a moment, direct from Jesus himself. Judges too. you don't need to turn there. But I just want to mention this and I'm going to move right on. Judges 2 and verse 2 says, The Lord says, Why have ye done this? Second Chronicles 24.20 Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Second Chronicles 25 verse 15 Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people? Psalms 2.1 Why do the heathen rage? Isaiah 1 and verse number 5 why should ye be stricken any more? Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Verse 17. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Jeremiah 8, verse number 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? Ezekiel 18:31. Why will ye die, O house of Israel? Now, that's just a small sampling of all of the questions that, that the Lord has asked why. But this morning here in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 46, Jesus himself asked this question. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now, this gets to the very heart of the matter, because if we get this settled, then all of the rest will take care of itself. Now, keep in mind, God does not ask questions for himself. In other words, God doesn't wonder why, but he does ask the question why. He's the one that knows all of the answers, and that's the title of the message this morning, a question from the one with all of the answers, and believe me, he has all of the answers. So God's not asking this for himself, but rather he is asking it for our sake so that we might ask why. He's grilling us, if you please. He's saying, why? Why did you do that? Why would you die before your time? Why do you do this? Why? He wants you to stop and to think about it. He wants you then to take action in regards to it. And so here we see that near the uh, end of the Sermon on the Plain. Now we always talk about the Sermon on the Mount and they're in Matthew. But here we find the Lord's Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a, it's a much more brief than that was. And here in this sermon, just like the Sermon on the Mount, he makes some very difficult demands. We'll talk about that later. But it wasn't all sunshine and roses. You know, he didn't just, you know, pat his disciples on the back and say, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to take care of everything. I just want you to eat, drink, and be merry, be happy, because I'm going to solve all of your problems. You're never going to hurt anymore. You're never going to have any difficulties anymore. Or anything. He didn't promise anything like that at all. In fact, he warned them, hey, it's going to be tough. 
The birds of the air have a nest and the foxes have the holes in the ground. They have these comfortable places. But if you're going to follow me, you'll not have any of that stuff. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. And he imposed strict standards upon them. And he never encouraged anyone to follow him under false pretense. He was upfront, open, and honest about what he expected. And... uh, and so here he's emphasizing the importance of obedience. Now he does this because the sermon itself is about to end and he will introduce, this introduces a parable, the parable of the two builders, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. And no doubt you're familiar with the story. I wrote about it this morning in Morning Manna. I hope you'll take time to read that. And I did it intentionally because I wanted to introduce our thoughts today that the two ways that you can build your life, two ways that you can live your life, you can build upon the rock and live in obedience to the Lord, or you can build your life upon the sand and it'll all come tumbling down. And so here the Lord... He's laying it out clearly, and notice the question, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, some folks just don't get the message. It tells us that in addition to his disciples, in the early part of this, it tells us that that there was a great multitude that followed him there out on the plain, And they're all listening to what the Lord had to say, but they just don't get the message. Well, that was then and this is now. And the question now is, do you get the message? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? This question describes our Lord's authority. Notice the word Lord. And as you go through the Bible, you'll see that repeatedly he was called Lord. In fact, in the New Testament, 433 times the word Lord is used, whereas the word Savior is only used 24 times. So you can see where the Bible puts the emphasis. You know, we put the emphasis today on Christ is my Savior. Well, He's not your Savior unless He is your Lord. And this here is is describing His authority. He is Lord. There's no record that any of His disciples ever called Him by His earthly name while He was here on earth. They did later, but not while He was here. They never walked up to him and addressed him. Well, hey, Jesus, how are you doing today? Never, never. They referred to him as Lord or Master or Teacher or whatever, but not, not by his name. In other words, they lived their life continually recognizing his authority. And by the way, he richly deserves that title. I say that because His Lordship is proclaimed throughout the New Testament. And not only is it proclaimed, but it was proven by the fact that He was raised from the dead. And He readily accepts that title as Lord. You call me Lord, 
Lord, but do not the things that I say. Not only does that describe Christ's authority, but it deserves our attention. It deserves our attention. There are so many times we hear things that we need to hear, things that are of great importance, and yet we refuse to give it our undivided attention. How we answer this question affects our eternal destiny, and it affects absolutely every area of our life. Maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, He is my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to heaven when I die, and I don't have anything to worry about. And let me tell you, that might be true, and that's all well and good, but if you're living in rebellion against the Lord, you are shortchanging yourself. There's so many times we want to solve our problems, and we want God to meet our needs and answer our prayers, and, and yet at the same time, we refuse to yield to His leadership in our life. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. It's kind of like God saying, you take care of my business and I'll take care of yours. I don't think we have a thing in the world that we need to worry about when we're living our life in subjection to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, just calling Him Lord is not the same as considering Him Lord. A lot of folks call Him Lord, but there's no evidence that, uh, that they've really accepted Him as such. And so the Lord is saying, why? I want you to stop. I want you to think about it. I want you to do something about it. Why do you call me Lord? Well, that could be a number of reasons. It might be to comfort your conscience. You know, it just makes you feel better. That's why some people go to church. It makes them feel better because, you know, that's what grandma and grandpa, they always said, that's what you ought to do. It's Sunday. That's the Lord's day. You ought to go to church. If you're a good person, why, that's where you'll be. And so in order to comfort your conscience, you show up at church. And a lot of people profess Him to be Lord just to, just to soothe their conscience. Others do it to please their parents. Well, what do you, what do you think your, your mom and your dad would think if you came in and you said, you know, I, I, I just don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I just don't believe He is Lord at all. I don't have any intention of ever following Him, obeying Him, doing anything He says. Well, it would break their heart naturally. You don't want to do that, after all, because you want to get your allowance this week. Right? Or, you know, whatever it is. And, and so you're going, you're going to play the game and you're going to go along. And, and don't kid yourself. There are, there are some people in church, there are some husbands in church only because they're trying to please their wife. There are some children in church only because mom and dad said you're going. They don't want to be there. A lot of times we do what we do in order in order to please others or to comfort our conscience, or maybe it's to improve our image. You'd be surprised how many business people out here in the business world in order to improve their image, why they, they go to church. Politicians do that all of the time. Jimmy Carter, he, he ran on that platform. I'm a born-again Christian. I, I would to God he'd start living like it. But I mean, hey, he got a big portion of the Christian vote. 
Just based, just based on that. You, you see what I'm saying? It's one thing to call Him Lord in order to, to comfort your conscience or to please your parents or to improve your image. But let me tell you something. You better be right. When you call Him Lord, you better mean business. You better be sincere. You better be honest because there is a lot at stake. Interesting enough is when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew, and, and let me let me just read chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, and the Lord just before the parable of the two builders. Notice what He does in that sermon. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. whole lot like what we're talking about, right? He's on the mount, right? And notice what he says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. If you want to know what that is, John tells us the will is to believe on, on him. Many will say, notice many, not just a few, but many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, just like they do today. You go down the street knocking on doors and asking people, are you a Christian? Just about everybody will say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like the one woman who told me, he said, sure, I'm a Christian. I was born right here in America. Whoa, Really? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, notice, he says, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not, now get this, they're about to break their arm patting themselves on their back because they think this is what's going to get them to heaven. They said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Hey, we, we're preachers. We've been preaching. We went on visitation. We, we prophesied. And in thy name, cast out devils, really? Hey, it takes some power to do that, right? And in thy name, notice not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of some other God, but in the name of the Lord. He said, in the, they said, in thy name, We've done many wonderful works. Well, come on in. How do you do? You, that's it. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, that, that for sure. You gotta, no, he didn't say that. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work Iniquity. I sat in my desk this morning and just writing down some thoughts, just a bit related to this, but it had to do with the fact that, you know, right here in America, for example, we Christians, we send missionaries around the world to minister the gospel to those that we, you know, are heathen. They're of different religions, right? And by the way, that's what we ought to do. We need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what we don't realize is, is that we have a, a mission field right here. Notice he said many, many. I'm telling you, the vast majority of people 
the va- let me change that. The vast majority of professing Christians that are church members have not really been born again. And if you don't believe that, just examine what the Bible says about how we are born again. Paul summed it all up. He said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. All right? That clear? Right? Okay? Okay, now go down to the... Boy, I got in trouble last time. Of course, they didn't talk to me about it. Didn't have the guts to do that. They pitched their little fit in the parking lot out there. But uh, that's all right. Some people need to get mad in, in order to get their attention you go out here and do a survey of the major denominations here in America. I don't have to name any names. And you inquire as to what it takes for a person to become a child of God. And I'll guarantee you the vast majority would not be in agreement at all with what the Bible says about being a Christian. So, oh, you've got to get baptized. You can't go to heaven without being baptized. Or you've got to be a church member, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Listen, that's exactly what these folks are doing here. They're saying to the Lord, look at all of the wonderful works we've done in your name. And, you know, and the Lord said, depart from me. I never knew you. That's why I'm saying this deserves our attention because it's describing the authority of the one who's going to judge us in that great day. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not the things that I say? So this question not only describes his authority and deserves our attention, it discusses our allegiance. It's talking about the matter of obedience. Let me tell you, the Lord demands more than acknowledgement. Somebody says, oh, well, I will acknowledge, I... Like God needed that, huh? Well, I have to agree that there there is a God. I mean, really? So what? The Bible says the devil believes and he trembles. He he knows there's a God. He knows who Jesus is. It takes more than you giving your mental assent to historical facts concerning the person of Jesus Christ. God demands more than your acknowledgement. He demands more than your appreciation, your admiration, or your adoration. God is demanding your allegiance. And that's why He said, unless a man forsake all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We have no right to call Him Lord where there is no evidence that, that we have obeyed Him, that we have given Him our allegiance. Remember what He said in John chapter 14, If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. There's no question about that. I've heard people say, well, I'll tell you one thing. I, you know, I know so-and-so's got a lot of faults, but he, he really does love the Lord. Bull. He doesn't love the Lord if he's not obeying the Lord. If a man loved me, this is Jesus talking, not Brother Stone. He said, if a man loved me, he will keep my commandments. 
And so he looks at these people there in this sermon and says, Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? What happens is that we forget sometimes that salvation involves our submission to Him as the Lord of our life. And that's given many of people a, a, a false assurance, a false sense of security. Because they make a profession of faith and they do not understand the nature of saving faith. It gets right back to what I talked about there from Ephesians 2 and verse 8. By grace are you saved through faith. They don't understand that. As far as they're concerned, the only thing is involved in becoming a Christian is to just, you know, say, well, yeah, I, I believe Jesus. Jesus, I, Jesus loves me. This I know the Bible told me, so I've known that all of my life. And I've asked some people, you know, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. That's impossible. There's nobody that's been a Christian all of their life. He must be born again. There must be a time and a place where you recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer of this world, died for your sins, and you come to Him in repentance. That's a change of mind and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, you're born again. And we're not saved because of any good works on our part. Our good works are the result, not the reason, for our salvation. Now, there's something else about this question, and uh, it demands an answer. And I've got three reasons for saying that. Number one, because of what we claim He's talking to people that said, Lord, Lord, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? They didn't fail to do that. We claim that, you know, that Christ is our Lord. And whenever you make that claim to your neighbor or your coworker or your classmate, they have a right to expect something different from you. We have no right to expect others to believe that Christ is our Savior unless we have yielded ourselves to Him as the Lord of our life. And, and there ought to be an expression of that. It might be a personal profession, for example. We personally profess Christ as our Savior. That's our answer to the work that He's done for us. And so we see it many times. Someone may be standing before the congregation will say something to the effect that right here today, I've made the most important decision of my life. I have decided to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's a public profession. And let me tell you, anybody not willing to do that there is no reason to believe they've ever been saved. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm one of those secret disciples. Well, Jesus said, if you won't confess me before man, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. And, and so we, this is demanding an answer from us, and we ought to answer maybe personally in our profession or publicly in our baptism. 
Baptism never saved anyone, but it has shown a lot of people that we have been saved. That's our public profession that we have, we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. But then there's the practical side in which we answer this practically by our obedience. That we discover, by the way, this is what success is. It's discovering the will of God and doing it. And when others see that, when they see us giving our allegiance to the Lord, obeying the Lord the best we can in everything, then they have reason to believe that we really are Christians. This demands an answer because of who you claim to be. Don't claim to be a Christian if there's no evidence of it. But there's another reason why it demands, demands an answer, and that's because of who He is. Why call ye me, me, me? Remember who's speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Who, who was that? Well, the Bible describes Him as the Word. He's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Amen. And the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's the Word of God. He created and controls the entire universe by the Word of His mouth. He's the one of whom it was said, Never man spake like this man. He's the one that is called the truth. Because he cannot lie. And it was of him that God the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. He's not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the highest authority in all of the universe. He is the greatest teacher that ever walked across the stage of this earth. The greatest. Why would we not hear Him? Why would we not answer this question? Then the third reason this demands an answer is not only because of what we claim, not only because of who He is, but because of what He said. Now please bear with me and I'll be brief. I'll try to be brief. Notice this phrase. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, now here it is, the things which I say. And I want you to look beyond just what he said during the course of that sermon on the plain, or look beyond what he said during the Sermon on the Mount, which was longer than that one. I want you to look beyond any specific sermon that he might have delivered. I want you to think of the whole of what he said during his earthly ministry. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It doesn't matter what day it was I delivered the message or the geographical location. That doesn't matter. It's what I say that makes the difference. The things which I say. But if you reduce it down to just that brief message, 
you see that he spoke about his preexistence in, 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 in the Gospels, for example. I just quoted that verse from John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about his preexistence. Mary gave birth to a body, but the person existed from eternity. And he spoke about that. He spoke about his mission. That is why he came into this world. He spoke about the subject of the new birth. He spoke about forgiveness, love, obedience, giving, worry, all of those practical things that we have such great problems with. He spoke about history, which gives us insight. He spoke about prophecy that gives us hope because we're able to look beyond this veil of tears, beyond this world of sorrow, and to know based on what He said, the best is yet to come. That's the hope that He offers. He gave us the Beatitudes. There's a guide for living. He gave us what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for our prayer. He gave us the Great Commission, and it goes on and on and on. I'm telling you, we are not at liberty to pick and choose what parts of His commandments that we want to obey and what we don't. We're obligated to obey the entirety of His teaching. And again, I repeat, He asked some very difficult things. Things like forgive those that, you know, that hurt you and mistreated you and love your enemies, do good to them. I'll tell you, without Him, I'm meaner than a rattlesnake. I'm not, I'm not worth the, the gunpowder it'd take to blow my brains out. I, look, with, without Him, I wouldn't think anything at all about hurting you. It wouldn't bother me. So many people wonder about, why'd so-and-so do this? Why'd they do that? Because I'm telling you, without Jesus, there's no telling what a person's liable to do. He's the only good thing about any of us. So many times we're, I'm just amazed that he did this or he did that. Why? There's no reason to be amazed about that. We're just sinners doing what sinners do, and that's sinning. He's the one that makes the difference. And I gotta tell you, even after I become a Christian and I begin to read and this stuff here about where, where he talks, this talks about, you know, loving our enemies, praying for those that despitefully use you and, well, the list goes on and on. And I, yeah, you just feel like throwing up your hands in despair saying, Phew. That's beyond me. Yeah, it is. You're right. So what I'm saying is, this. listen, this question demands an answer because of what he said. Things that are very difficult, things that you could never possibly do on your own. And I challenge you to just sit down today sometime and read the Sermon on the Mount or read the Sermon on the Plain or just take time to just read through the Gospels and maybe you have a red-letter version of the Bible and look at the sayings of Jesus and then ask yourself, how am I doing? And I can guarantee you, you won't have to read very long before you'll find something in your life that needs to be changed. Some of you never make any changes because you don't spend any time in the Word of God. 
you don't ever see any reason to change. You're looking pretty good, you know, because you have nothing to compare yourself with. Boy, you begin to look into the Word of God and it's like, whoa. So let me ask you this question. I'm about through. How are you doing? How are you doing in regards to this question? In regards to your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, can you really honestly, truly say that there's no area of His teaching in which I'm failing? There's absolutely no area of my life that needs to be corrected. Let me ask another question. Why are we here today? What in the world do we hope to accomplish? Or better yet, what do we hope that God does? Do we, do, do, do we want to see God do anything in our lives? And can we think of anything in our life, you know, that, that couldn't use some improvement? So how are you doing? And listen... You be careful how you answer because He knows the truth. He knows the truth. He's not confused about their disobedience. He knows the truth. And He's trying to get them to see. That as a result of their attitude, their rebellion against Him, their disobedience toward Him, that they need to be born again. And they just, they, at that point, they just don't get it. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And His response was, depart from me, I never knew you. Only God knows how how much, how desperately I want to see someone today come to their senses and say, finally, I finally realized that even though I've claimed to be a Christian and I've convinced others that I am a Christian, God has made me to see that I, I've really never actually been born again. I, I've claimed to be a Christian and there have been absolutely no changes in my life. Wouldn't this be a good time to settle that? To leave here today knowing that your sins have been forgiven, knowing that God is your Father and heaven is your home, Jesus is your Savior. Look, that'll give you a peace that passeth all understanding and a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. This can be the best day of your life. But nothing will ever change until you get honest about your condition. And the Lord is saying, why? Why would you do that? There's certainly nothing to gain. Will you trust Him today? Trust. Don't forget the other part of that. Our trust is evidenced by what? Our obedience. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you, Lord, 
for the clarity of your word, that we don't have to live our lives in confusion about who we are and what we are, nor do we have to be confused about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. We're so thankful for that, but we're also grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that works in our heart and applies the Word of God in a way that that cuts and hurts, but a way that brings to us an awareness of our real, true spiritual condition. And I just pray this morning for that man, woman, some boy or girl, whoever it might be today, that's never really truly been born again. It might be that some preacher deceived them maybe years ago into believing that all they had to do to become a Christian was to walk down the aisle or all they had to do was to, to be baptized and they didn't know any better and they believed that false message and they've been living in doubt all of this time. God, today, help them to see that there can be blessed assurance like we sing about. They can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is their Savior, that heaven is their home. And Lord, today, as we consider this question, help those of us that indeed have assurance of our salvation, help us to examine our lives and although we know we're saved, help us, Heavenly Father, to do those things that are not just well-pleasing in Your sight, but the things that will give our neighbors reason to believe that we believe that we're true Christians. And if there's something wrong, may we make it right in Jesus' name.